This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Prodigy episode 107, First Contact. You have to say it like that. I way. could hear the dash. Yes, I want everyone <laughs> to hear the dash. Um, but before we get into that, we will start with the news. Last week we started with the news that Picard had shut down production. A day later, they were back up and running. Not a day later from when they shut it down, but a day later from when we found out about it so basically as of last friday they're they're back in production and things are business as usual it was a big deal for over 50 people to test positive but they bounced back quickly they took four days off and they're still at it you know and they aren't the only production dealing with this it's not just tv stuff Uh, we just found out toy fair is going to be canceled which means laurie and brian don't get to go to the New York Toy Fair and see what's up for the next year of Star Trek toys. And get a free little tiny nomad. That was my favorite thing I ever scored there. I mean, because I was really hoping to find out more about what Playmates is up to at Toy Fair. So hopefully we learn something through some other means. But uh, so, yeah, this uh, this COVID thing, I hear it's, uh, I hear I hear it's, it's a big bit... deal. <laughs> it's, it's funny because Brian and I went the last time we went to the Toy Fair here in New York was February of 2020. And so we went and all the manufacturers, all the people there and all the booths were saying, yeah, we're having, we're not going to be able to meet our delivery dates because there's this virus in China. That's crazy. Oh man. (laughs) That's what we were hearing. Like things are going to be slowed down. We don't know when it's coming. It's really affected production. It's this, you know, this big thing happening in China was how we were. I mean, we're at the Javits centers, all these people, you know, lots and lots of crowds and whatever. So that was like, wow, this really is affecting things. We had no idea. (laughs) We were so young and naive. (laughs) A month later, it was a whole new world. The showrunner, Terry Metalis, made the announcement that they're back. And he did this by revealing yet another image of the ship. Uh, this is, it was kind of, it was a di- uh, one of those panels showing the EPS grid of the ship, showing the saucer. So the getting into the weeds, the, the saucer of the ship is kind of old school round saucer, it looks like. Unlike, you know, a lot of TNG era stuff, you know, like the Sovereign class, the Galaxy class, Voyager, Intrepid class are all kind of oval shot saucers. So this yeah. is, um, we still haven't seen the ship and we may not because this is all season three production we're talking about. So I doubt they'll show it to us until, you know, I don't know, Comic-Con or who knows, you know, because yeah. uh, we haven't even got the season two yet. You know, as a reminder, it's supposed to start in February, but. No one believes that anymore because of discovery, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think the general consensus is we don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, this is going to be a big year for Star Trek. Uh, You know, I was doing the math the other day. We're going to have like 41 episodes of Star Trek this year, maybe more. But uh, some things are going to be pushed back because of discovery and prodigy both having these little hiatuses. But we do have something to fill the Picard gap coming, which we just found out about today, actually. Did you know about this before, Tony? Can I pretend that I did? No, I did not. But I was very excited about it. Yeah, it seems right up your alley. It's they're doing a new Star Trek Picard audio drama, like a 
old timey wimey radio show, but cooler. <laughs> it's a it's an audio drama with Jerry Ryan and Michelle Hurd being seven being seven of nine and Raffi. Full sound effects, full cast, and it takes place after season one of Star Trek Picard. I'm such a huge fan of audiobooks and audio dramas that I was very excited to hear about it because it's a full cast thing, sound effects, the whole nine yards. And they've never really done this with Star Trek. They did a lot of stuff in that they did some audio only adventures in the 90s, but they weren't full cast. Sometimes they'd have a couple people, James Doohan and Leonard Nimoy or George Decay or something. But it, it, this is this is a big deal. It's going to be a story that could tell us more about the Fenris Rangers. It's it's a story where seven to nine are off on R and R right after season one ends, and then this kind of adventure starts involving old pals of Rafi's showing up and and seven. I do worry though, like I want the big seven backstory on screen. I hope this isn't the way they're going to do that just with this audio adventure. I mean, it isn't. It isn't a flashback, but she might, you know, talk about that stuff, I guess, which I hope I agree with you. I want to see it on screen. I mean, this, you know, because this is part of the extended universe, it's not officially canon, but it's being written by or co-written by Kirsten Beyer, who's a co-creator of Picard and a novelist and a writer on the show. And it's got the actors from the show. So this is one of those things of it might not be canon, but it's as close as you're going to get, you know, because the people involved in it are all part of the show. So they're they're obviously not going to do anything that conflicts with the show. But we could get some hints about what happened between season one and season two that could inform season two. So Yeah, that's what I'm going to guess. And also they mention um, in the description, they said they take tentative steps to explore the attraction depicted in the final moments of Picard season one. So we'll get a little romance in there too, or at least the beginning of it. Um, and this comes out February 22nd, by the way. You can pre-order it on Audible now, but I'm told it's not an Audible exclusive. We've got an article on the site and we'll do a review of it and all that stuff as it gets closer, but very exciting project. And I think you should go to Audible to get it because that's who I work for. <laughs> <laughs> so go, go Audible. Yes. Um, Audible's great. Great stuff. You know, I liked Audible before you were there and I still do. Let's switch to some non-spoilery. We don't have any spoilery discovery stuff. Yeah, we have some discovery news, but it's not anything that you need to worry about. So we're not black alerting today. So it's January. January means award season starting every day. Practically a new guild announces uh, nominations this week. The Makeup and Hair Guild announced nominations and Star Trek Discovery was nominated for Best Effects Makeup. I should hope so, by the way. They've been doing an amazing job. They've won two Emmys for this already. I think Star Trek has more makeup Emmys. It's it's either makeup or visual effects, but if you count up all the Emmys Star Trek has won since back in the beginning, those are kind of the two big buckets is special effects and makeup. And the new shows have been regularly nominated and or winning Guild and or you know Picard was nominated for this last year. So they're definitely uh, in contention for this, but we're hoping for more nominations this year. But we'll see what happens and we'll be keeping an eye on all that. So we have some Discovery adjacent news. Section 31 news is may, is maybe a strong word. 
It's an update. So Shazad Latif, who played Lieutenant Tyler, who also played Valk the Klingon, who, you know, was a sleeper agent and then joined Section 31. He left Discovery in season two. Well, it's actually more like Discovery left him because they went into the future and left him behind. And if you remember that his final scene, he was revealed to be the acting commander of Section 31. So he was doing an interview promoting, you know, all his other various projects. And he was asked about Star Trek. And he basically said, yeah, they left him behind in charge because that was all part of the setup for Section 31 show, which he was going to be on. But he said, I don't know what's happening with it. I haven't heard anything. You know, it's obviously been years. This month actually marks three years since they announced development on the show. Wow. Well, it's been an eventful three years. I mean, first of all, we have obviously huge production changes because of COVID. Michelle Yeoh has been doing one project after another. This woman is booked solid. So I think that's part of the trickiness, the trickiness to it, for sure. Right. And I think the Netflix deal and the fact that they had the rights to all spinoffs was part of it and the pandemic. And yeah, so I still think they want to do it, but there's always been something in the way. But they definitely were doing things in the writer's room and the production, like setting him up. You know, he sounds like he's very, you know, he loved being on Star Trek. I think he very much wants to do it, even though he's now going to star in a Disney Plus series playing Captain Nemo, which yeah. is pretty cool. His price is going up, I guess. But, uh, I, you know, I, I, I still think that there's a chance this thing's going to happen. But the news out of this is, you know, he doesn't know what's going on, which means they're not going to start shooting anything this year. So if this right. sh show exists, it's a 2024 show. Right. They haven't asked him anything about his schedule yet, obviously. It's funny. I was looking at our older interview with him. So or it wasn't our interview, but we did an article in July of 2019 where he was on. He was talking to the Trekkie girls at a Comic-Con in London. And he said, uh, we're maybe a year and a half away. <laughs> yeah, that, that was <laughs> o overly optimistic. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what's funny is he said, you know, we're we're not in a hurry. It's you know, it's he's saying you know, it's it's going to be a long time. He had no idea how long that meant. So um, right, he's like, we'll know more in about a year. So you know, nobody knew everything that was going to happen. <laughs> but so I, you know, obviously they're still trying. Alex Kurtzman, as recently as um, you know, last month was still saying it's very much alive. So um, your guess is as good as mine. Tony's guess is usually a little better. <laughs> I, I wouldn't bet the house on it, but I would bet a little bit of money on this show going into production in 2023 um, or 2024 yeah. after Picard wraps up, maybe after Discovery wraps up. I still think that there's a chance because Michelle Yeoh's a big star. They're launching, you know, Paramount Plus in Asia and she's an even bigger star there, you know, and now he's becoming a bigger star. Mm -hmm. um, so... It could happen. Before we get to the Prodigy review, hopefully you're listening to this on Friday or, or even over the weekend. Um, there's a big virtual convention happening for a very worthy charity. It's called Trek Talks. It's being organized by the Roddenberry Podcast Network and some other podcasts. And uh, it's all revolving around John Billingsley uh, runs a charity called the 
Hollywood Food Coalition. He's the president of the board of directors. His wife is a board member. And I mean, anyone who follows him on social has seen him talking about this charity quite a bit. They provide hot meals and resources to those in need seven nights a week. They've been doing it for 35 years. I know it's very close to his heart. So they have rounded up a huge amount of Star Trek stars to do basically like a telethon, like those old school, well, not like those, but (laughs) a little similar. It's a six hour telethon and they have broken it up into panels. And I guess they'll be reminding people of the charity and asking them to donate as they go. But they have brought in some amazing people and grouped them together in, in great little collections. Um, that are very impressive to me, like a, a guest star panel that's got John Delancey, Jonathan DeLarco, Elizabeth Dennehy, um, James Cromwell, and Noah Averbeck Katz. Like that group together should be a lot of fun. It's an interesting grouping there. Well, the one before it is great, too, because it's Robert Picardo, Denise Crosby, Alexander Siddig, and Will Wheaton. Like that's a, a fascinating group. And they have guest stars like Jack McBrayer, who was, you know, bad, the voice of Badgie. Um, he's from 30 rock they have uh, so many they have the hageman brothers they have people who worked on the show in in you know production on the production side and the writing side as well as tons and tons of actors so you'll be what be able to watch the whole thing on youtube um i don't know if you could call in to like a are they gonna have a bank of celebrities like they used to do those old telephones yeah that i don't know (laughs) That would be great. Worthy Charity sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, it's called Trek Talks. There's an article on our website. Good moderators, too. They've thrown in like people like John Champion and Dr. Aaron McDonald and Ian Spelling and Larry Nemechek. Like this, this is going to be pretty cool. So let's talk about first con tact. <laughs> con tact. Con Right. <laughs> We're just going to do that for the rest of the podcast. Yes. They, they, I mean, they have had, because didn't they, they had terror. What was that? Terra one Firma. They yeah. They had terror firma. And there was another kind of pun name. And what's funny is members of the Trek movie community in on our, when we did the preview article for this, all started suggesting fun pun titles based on previous episodes that could be future prodigy episodes. So that's worth checking out some of those suggestions, which were pretty funny. So we're going to weave in some of the commentary from my nephew, David. Annie wasn't available this week. She was just too busy, but let's start with Lori's thoughts on at a high level of the episode. At a high level, I would say I did. It, it wasn't the strongest episode. Like it was probably might be my least favorite so far, but that's, I mean, keep in mind my, I've given everything pretty much a 10 along the way. So <laughs> I thought it was a great way to introduce the Prime Directive to kids. Beautifully, beautifully done in that way. What I didn't love was um, the Ferengi character, Nandi. I wasn't a big fan of that character. I thought they would have done better if they'd picked a different species. But I loved the way that the gang is bonding together and that they're all very much kids like the ship is just a mess and they're beaming pie around everywhere so <laughs> i thought there were some great lessons and some beautiful stuff with dal but overall it was just a little weaker than usual i had a similar feeling but i, I liked the episode it was a f- very simple story i feel like this 
was in a lot of ways kind of what I always thought the show was going to be like. It was very much a kid's animated show, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It was a simple story. It had a simple message. It had some fun Star Trek stuff, too. But we're learning lessons, you know, because you think about Lastic, it was so dense and complicated, and there were multiple storylines. This one, there was just really one storyline with kind of a minor thing happening with Janeway on the ship, which we could talk about later. And Murph. Murph got a little storyline, sort of, too. Eh, I'm not sure you could, you know, I mean, it's not really a storyline as a a bit. A bit. He got a a bit. A factoid. I mean, even David actually said that it was more of a, he called it a learning episode too. I mean, kids know when a show is set, is trying, is trying to teach them a lesson and he doesn't reject it. Why don't we hear what he had to say about it? I think it was a good episode because of how Dal learned in the episode so it was more of a learning episode so what i liked about it is that dal learned that he can't trust everyone because some people he knew might be bad too and how he found out that she was actually bad and uh sold him to the diviner david has always been very fixated on the character of dal and so every I've noticed every time I talk to him, he's always kind of following along the Dal journey. I think that the character is working for him and I think probably working for a lot of kids, especially boys. I think Gwyn, you know, is great too for girls, even though both can work for both. But I noticed that Annie notices things about Gwyn more than David and vice versa for whatever reason. Yeah, it also might be, I feel like, Gwyn sort of almost tracks as older and Annie's older. That could be it as well. So I feel Uh, like that's part of it for sure. But he does make a good point. And, you know, so let's talk about Dal's journey in this because, you know, it, once you learn that Dal was brought up by a Ferengi, it, you know, you immediately go, oh yeah, that, that checks out, right? Yeah. Well, David actually put it beautifully. I think we should listen to David because he talked about that succinctly and perfectly. It uh, explains how, where he was raised and why he was selfish, because she was selfish, and why he didn't really listen to his crew. David got it, I got it, and I thought it was so well done that it wasn't just, we're going to talk about something and then he learned it. What we saw last week, we couldn't have had this week without last week. And last week he learned a lesson in a really, really painstaking challenging way and then this week we got to we got insight into why he is like that and and he would never have reacted the way that he did had we not had last week's episode so the character growth on this show is is very strong i do believe that dal has learned his lesson last week but he's still fully capable of making big mistakes so i think his his heart is in the right place, perhaps. And I'm curious as to what you think about this, because his whole thing was as soon as he saw the cloaking device was on the table, as it were, he really wanted to get that cloaking device to protect the kid, the ship and the kids from the diviner, which is kind of what a good captain would do. Right. He's trying to protect his crew. Yeah. You know, the mistake he made was not listening to Janeway and everyone else 
and kind of cutting this deal with someone he shouldn't have trusted. Right. And not tell he didn't tell them that that's what he was doing. But he wasn't being selfish. That's, you know, so he's moved on from being selfish. But so now he's making selfless mistakes as opposed to selfish mistakes. Uh, But he's getting there. No, and the huge difference really was that this time he said he messed up. Like it was the first time he'd ever owned his mistakes, taken the blame for his own choices. He was very big on blaming other people in other circumstances and talking about the things he did that he thought were great. And in this, he just fully says it. He's like, I blew it. I messed up. And he knows. And he started to recognize, I mean, he, you know, was having second thoughts early on, which Zero noticed. Yeah. Zero. And told everybody. Then before uh, Nandy basically started grabbing the crystals from the aliens, uh, he realized that he had made a mistake. So that was good that it didn't take her. Once he realized that, you know, how important they were, he's like, oh, this is all wrong. But it was too late because they were already there. I think it was a good Dal episode, even though he's making mistakes. But I think that we've got a long way to go with him before he is a captain. And this is another little bit for him to learn an important lesson. And I, one of the ways I love that they showed that he learned the lesson it was very small. It was a small moment at the very end where he and Gwen were standing there near the captain's chair having the conversation. They've both been betrayed by parental figures. So they're sort of comparing notes. And she's talking about how I, you know, I wish I could tell you will stop hurting, but I don't know that yet. Um, but then she leaves and he sort of looks back at the captain's chair for a second and then walks away from it as if he feels like he doesn't deserve it. Because early on, he's like lounging in the chair. You know. Yeah, he's always the first one into that chair, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so again, they're 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 putting all these they're they're taking us on the journey like step by step, no big leaps, but it's just done so well and and with a lot of emotional truth in the middle of this crazy sci-fi fun cartoon story. There's other elements showing how this crew is getting better at it. All the stuff so, – so every episode they introduce us to a new piece of technology. This episode <laughs> was the transporter episode. I loved all of that. I thought it was so great. They're just transporting a hot piece of pie all over the ship. Yes. And eating which, it. <laughs> which, which you immediately recognized as an Easter egg for The Simpsons. Because Jenkin Pug goes, mmm, floor pie. And I was like, oh, I know that expression, floor pie. That's Homer Simpson. Yeah. So even though Homer actually said, ooh, floor pie – um <laughs> that mm, was such a classic homer i was like for sure that's what it's from i've been saying floor pie ever since that episode of the simpsons air <laughs> so he he is learning how to use the transporter early on he screws up and accidentally transports murph to the outside of the ship i know yikes um, <laughs> <laughs> which luckily it was murph who can't be harmed by anything which is um, why they chose murph to be fair because they said we need a, a living being. And <laughs> Jacob Pug is like, I'm not doing it. Don't look at me. <laughs> you know, that that actually brings up another thing about David. David's fixated on Murph's indestructibility. And seeing Murph outside the ship has him theorizing about where this is all headed. I think that Murph should be their um, 
little disguise for the ship. He should, like, stretch out and then cover the ship, and then it would disguise his ship. Well, wouldn't they still recognize that it's a ship if he's covering it? I mean, he's indestructible, but... Uh, yeah, exactly, so he would make the ship indestructible. Yeah, that's yeah. that's... I don't know if he could get that big, but we did see that he could yeah. survive outside the ship now. So... If he did that, that, then maybe they would be able to destroy the blob around him because he would be in, because he's indestructible. I agree with what you told David that he might not be able to get that big, <laughs> but I do think he'll be able to protect them somehow at some point. Like it's obviously they're, you know, it's not just a cute aside. There's a reason we're finding out that he's indestructible. That's got to have something to do with, first of all, what the hell he actually is. Um, but also what he's going to do for them and how he's going to contribute. Well, I mean, he could, he could be right. We don't know how big he could get. Maybe he can stretch around the ship. But we now know that he doesn't need oxygen. So, you know, Murph's capabilities are still an open book. I like when he's sliding down the window and Zero says, he just keeps going, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you know, one of the things I liked about this episode was there was a lot of subtle humor in it. Yes. Some, some real sotto voce humor, especially Jenkinpog. There's one moment when Dal reveals that Nandy is his former captain. Um, and raised him it's almost you almost could miss it but there's this like really yeah. quiet line where he, you just hear him go don't really see the resemblance yeah um <laughs> but it's like almost mixed in with everyone babbling um so you might not you know and he has a few of these lines uh like when the when the aliens kind of attack them and he goes it's the hair because he's yeah. he thinks his hair is upsetting them it's 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 uh it's great so yeah he um, gets all these little moments and rock talk too says these cute little things like just she's just like uh hi like she doesn't even know <laughs> it's so cute so all that all of that is working really well the small stuff yeah. but getting back to pog and the transporter we see by the end of the episode that he's learned how to use it pretty well he could even doesn't even need someone to have their badge on to find them on a planet and beam them up. So he's learning. There was also a great moment, you know, so Gwyn is showing how great she is as a communications officer. This last episode, she was having kind of that crisis of, you know, what am I going to do with my life? And here she was just kicking butt, you know, recognizing the harmonics and she got everyone to use their tricorders and they were all working as a team. I thought that was a great yeah. teamwork moment and the way the camera spun around them. You know, if you think about the first episode when they show up on the planet and everyone just goes off in a different direction, you know, and they, they have no teamwork whatsoever. And now they are working as a team, as a landing party, like you should in Star Trek, using yep. your tricorder. And that's kind of a big deal for these guys. You know, I think they're all getting closer and closer to being a crew. There was an interesting moment when Nandy suggests they wear uniforms. And it makes me think, I think that they're going to eventually. I think they're holding that big. I think that was a foreshadowing. Yeah, I thought so, too. I hadn't thought about them wearing uniforms until that moment. And then I went, oh, well, now I have something to look forward to. Yeah. Rock talking a uniform. 
Yeah, they're going to need extra fabric for that. Um, <laughs> by the way, why is the ship so messy? Did they, I, I think the robot, because remember Gwyn sliced a robot in half? I think that was a cleaning robot, and they just haven't built a new one because the ship's a mess. I mean, you're probably right about that, but I think it's also really to show their kids because it was like unfinished food and clothes hanging around everywhere. Like this kind of stuff that I'm sorry, I have to deal with in my life because I have teenagers. So (laughs) this is like the way kids are when there's no one cleaning up after them or yelling at them to clean up, basically. Right. Uh, Yeah. You get the sense that Janeway isn't nagging them to do their chores and all that kind of stuff. Right. In fact, this episode really kind of tested Janeway's influence on them again in a big way. Yeah, you know, obviously this whole episode was to teach about first contact and about the prime directive, which are important Star Trek concepts. And I found it curious that, I mean, I guess Janeway just can't stop these kids from doing whatever the hell they want to do because she shouldn't have just been warning them to be careful this whole thing was not allowed. This this was a pre-warp civilization. So it wasn't about being careful when you land. They shouldn't have landed at all. Right. And, and in fact, you can read that because they show, you know, general order number one and she pulls it up. And if you freeze frame and read it, as I did, you know, it makes it pretty, pretty clear. Nope, you can't do this. And, you know, so she's warning about the bad things that can happen, but she never says you're not allowed to do this and and we get back to what can she control and not control on the ship because can't she just stop them from violating the prime directive which is a big deal i just don't know if that's her function like she's a training hologram and this brings up a bigger thing which so we so now they come back to the ship at the end and they have just totally screwed up you, and they don't even realize they screwed up because they're like, oh, well, we fixed it because we gave him back the crystal. And she's like, no, you know, you're, you're missing the you're still not getting it. This was bad. Not only did you give them a uh, communicator, which is what McCoy did at the end of Piece of the Action. Right. Um, <laughs> so, so who knows what impact that's going to have. But you made a very bad first impression for aliens. Uh, for these aliens and uh, could have set them back centuries. Who knows? And she's super pissed, but it, you know, this whole show since episode two or three, technically, because there was a two part pilot has been built on the conceit that Janeway thinks they are cadets. Although we've all often questioned, does she really think that or not? But even before this episode, that was wearing a little thin, right? Mm-hmm. That she believed these were Starfleet cadets. Now that has to be out the window. She could no longer think they that the this is a cadet crew, especially with the whole uh, Chicote recording. So this gets back to the question of, and I guess we'll find out next week of, why doesn't she just lock them out of the ship and fly fly to the Federation? Just, you know, give them food and water, but not let them touch anything. Because the whole letting these kids run around the ship and have their own adventures things should be over now. They're, they've stolen the ship. They're violating the Prime Directive. They shouldn't have any rights on the ship anymore. So how, do they, how are they going to get themselves out of that is my question. 
one of the things David said was he said that Janeway's not going to trust the crew anymore. Nor should she. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I'm very interested to see where they go with it. I mean, we all were like, I don't think she really thinks they're cadets, but we've definitely uh, crossed a new line with this one. Also, so in the last episode, it started out where the crew's like, we all want to go to the Federation. And Dal's like, nah, I don't want to go to the Federation. And then he goes and takes this test to prove that he doesn't need to listen to them. Then he realizes he does need to listen to them. And right before he was about to tell them, oh, I, I should listen to you, they find the Chakotay recording um, and all the other stuff. But why fi- why has finding all that stuff stopped them from wanting to go to the Federation? It should, in fact, make them want to go to the Federation even more. I didn't get the sense that it stopped them from wanting to go to the Federation. I got the sense that it just put everyone, it kind of changed the mood for everybody. I guess. Like he said, you know, he says in his captain's log that they're all on edge, basically. And I think that's where they were, which is why they're distracting themselves by transporting floor pie. And Janeway's kind of obsessed with figuring out exactly what happened. This is kind of a interim episode in that they need to have a mission. I think now now they've kind of are heading towards confronting this idea of why you guys on the ship? What is the mission of the ship? And how are you guys, you know, I think eventually Janeway is going to come up with, we've got to save Chakotay and you guys are going to help me. But they, they need something to do is basically running around, breaking the prime directive, having little <laughs> adventures is, is not, doesn't work. They need a, a, a curriculum. If Janeway really is the tra- their training hologram, she's got to set them up with, um, you know, a lesson plan, as it were. And lesson number one is save Chakotay. I think I should hope so. He did build her a bathtub that time. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We, we did going, getting to the, that little Janeway B story, hardly a B story is in the recording. It was revealed that when the ship was boarded, which we think, and based on my interview uh, with Aaron last week was through time travel. So, you know, the original ship went into the Delta quadrant went to an anomaly, traveled back in time, and the ship was boarded, and now we know it was boarded by Dreadnought, or at least something that looked a lot like Dreadnought. Right, you know? like it could be another Dreadnought type. Yeah, like maybe robot. there's a whole race of those robots. The only thing I thought was weird, she didn't know who he was, and I, I kind of had to go back to that previous episode when Gwyn contacted him, before she became friends with everybody. And they didn't actually, like Janeway was with her and she said, I need you to send a message. And then she spoke to him and we did, there wasn't like a shot of Gwyn talking to Dreadnought with Janeway standing there, but it seemed logical to me that Janeway would have been there for that conversation since she's the one who got it going. So maybe it was like the fake, remember she sort of did something to Janeway. Yeah. Well, there's also the thing of Janeway tends to pop in and out. So isn't she aware of things when she's not on, as it were, when she's not projecting? Well, the doctor wasn't. Just to be fair, the doctor was not aware of things that he wasn't present for. But hasn't Janeway revealed herself in the middle of conversations without someone having to say, you know, Janeway on, as it were? No, she probably Um, has. She probably interrupted them a few times. 
Yeah, and she's she is capable, unlike the doctor, or at least I think eventually he was able to do this, but to turn herself off, right? She yeah. winks it oh, yeah. out. They gave him the ability to do that on Voyager. Yeah, but it took a few seasons, right? Maybe two tops. Well, I'll trust you. You are the Voyager. I am a Voyager nerd. <laughs> yes, indeed. This has always been in the back of my mind of why is Janeway letting them do this? And I think we've lived with the conceit, but it's time for them to move on and figure a way around it because it just doesn't make any sense anymore. Yep, I agree with that. So let's talk a little bit more about Nandi. What's it, What's interesting is David really didn't like Nandi, but I think that's why the character worked because he immediately, because again, this is like a kid's show and they just immediately made you not like this character, but which means it's working because you're supposed to not like her because she's a villain essentially. And he immediately caught the clues before she double crossed them, that there was something off with her. So, but I agree. There was not a lot of nuance to the character. And if this is going to be a recurring role, you kind of want there to be a little nuance. You want some sense that she actually does care about Dal a little bit. And you don't get that. You get the sense that Dal. She sold him. You don't care about somebody a little bit if you sell them into slave labor. I mean, I'm thinking about a character like Hondo in the Star Wars animated shows who is certainly willing to double cross the heroes, but is all is lovable and is helpful at times, you know, and there's plenty of lovable rogues as there were out there um, in fiction. And there was nothing lovable about this character. This character was bad news from start to finish, I think. No. And I felt, I mean, yes. And I felt like making it a Ferengi wasn't to me a great choice because so the, the kids who don't know, it makes no difference. It could have been any made up, new species and it would have been fine and then for the adults watching well that was immediately you know red flag number one so it's almost like too easy and of course i mean i would hope everybody's uh spidey senses started tingling when she said i have these orphans here (laughs) like that was kind of a clear giveaway anyway i just think it didn't need to be a ferengi and it would have been more interesting to me had it not been had was it if it was a new alien and you're right like just a just a bad guy i still feel like ferengis get a bad rap <laughs> you know and, and and certainly after ds9 ferengis aren't necessarily i mean they make them out to be thieves you know and cutthroats and pirates essentially when they're just you know ruthless business people who have a set of rules that they live by. But she, you know, when he says, I stole the ship and, you know, she thought that was great. And I don't know, it just, it it almost seemed like a parody of a Ferengi as opposed to living up to some of the best of DS9's um, nuance that we get from all of the Ferengi. I was going to say, it's like early TNG Ferengi or the one really annoying Ferengi episode on Voyager that I have to skip in all my rewatches. Um, <laughs> but Deep Space Nine took the Ferengi. There were there were some next generation ones. I remember one or two that were more interesting and more nuanced. But Deep Space Nine took it to a whole new level. And so it seems odd to go backwards from that. It also you know, brings up a bigger question of what was she doing in the Delta Quadrant. Although, again, Voyager did have a couple there, too. Right, but they had, there was a good reason for them to be yeah, there. Yeah, there was a specific <laughs> backstory. 
And why was she wearing clothes? Was it because of the reforms? Right. Brought about by Rom and Lita and also... Moogie. <laughs> or, because I kind of thought maybe she was a rebellious female who left the Ferengi to go out on her own in the Delta Quadrant uh, because she didn't want to live by the old rules. So well, it, if that's the case, that could, I mean, if we're going to see her again, that could make her more interesting. That could be the story we so desperately need. <laughs> now I'm going to nitpick something here though. And this is nerdy, but it, it is, it really annoyed me. I, I hate to say this is that her ship was too big that the, the ship they used is the f first Ferengi ship we ever saw on Star Trek The Next Generation, and we saw it a few times. It is a giant ship. It's, you know, there's books and details about it. It's got a crew of 450. It's, it's comparable to Galaxy-class ship. It's a starship. And yet, she's just basically kind of, you know, this, you know, running a little ragtag operation with her and her little cube robot. The interior is a mess and doesn't match what the interior Ferengi ships look like. Right. So, you know, I just don't, I mean, they wanted to match a Ferengi, but there's other, like there's Ferengi shuttles we've seen. And it just, it didn't make sense that she has this giant starship with no crew off on her own, basically. So, you know, I'm sure I could come up with some headcanon, but I just thought, why didn't they... Just give, give her, her a, a smaller ship. <laughs> yeah, which matches her character, matches everything else in the episode. Yeah. I know that's a little in the weeds, but uh, other ship people were probably wondering the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it, I didn't initially think about it, but as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, no, that's completely true. I have a nitpick as well. Go ahead. We're, in, actually, that, we're in the zone. I have two, but this one fits the sort of super nerd category. So Medusans. When they transport, have this. There was always an issue that when they transported, you had to put on the special, you know, visor thing, <laughs> and you couldn't be in the room because their form would be revealed. And so I was wondering. I guess Zero's robot body is better than the box that the uh, Medusa <laughs> lived in on the original series. I mean, I whenever we compare a, a technology from the twenty third century to the twenty fourth century, you just go. They figured it out. You know? I guess it was such a huge plot point, though. <laughs> sure. But they had 120 years since then. So, you know, they figured it out. But no, I, I get it. I get okay. it. Okay. Okay. Uh, but they did have a lot. I mean, there were a lot of little nuggets and Easter eggs in this episode, which I liked. There was a Horgon on her ship. Yeah. Um, she was eating two grubs and, you know, the, the, but they weren't overdoing it. But again, this gets to the they were going so light on the Star Trek stuff. And then in the last episode, there was the fire hose of Star Trek stuff. Right. And I think this, but this does seem like they are just literally getting closer and closer, you know, that this is, and I think that's why they use the Ferengi, even though it was an opportunity to introduce a new species in the Delta Quadrant, which I'm hoping they do more, but they did introduce us to the aliens on the planet who were a very interesting species we haven't really talked about them, but I really liked the aliens and how the way they communicated was very confusing. It all you know, it reminded me a little bit of, of the whale probe, right? You know, mm -hmm. and um, 
so I thought they looked great and they never really understood them, which I think is good because first contact is, is complex and difficult and they never really sorted it out. They kind of, you know, Gwen kind of got them to stop doing the thing where the sand was flying around them, but they, you know, that was baby steps at best in figuring out who these people were and they never really talked to them. So, um, but I, you know, I'd love to learn more about them, but it was a, it was a great alien creation that you could really only do with animation or with a lot of money. Well, I mean, they reminded me a little bit of the movie Frozen, just some of the like wafting things around them and stuff. I got a bit of a Frozen vibe from them, but I liked them the same way I liked the, um, the butterfly people on discovery, like these really interesting, weird, different people are always fun. Yeah. And I mean, Gwen really, in a way she was super impressive. Like she could figure out how they needed all of the crystals, right? How did she figure that out? And uh, that they're in pain or was it Zero who could figure it out they were in pain? I think they both they both got that. But she also knew, like, look submissive, don't look threatening. You know, she knew. Yeah. She, you know, she's she's the right person to. I was like, should she be the captain? Well, we've been <laughs> saying that since you know early first, on. Yeah, first episode, second episode. <laughs> yeah, she knows what she's doing, but uh, Dow's getting there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, part of being the captain is really wanting to be the captain. You don't yeah. want reluctant captain. And I feel like that is something that he really wants. Yeah, but you need to want it for the right reasons. The reasons he wanted originally was because, you know, he thought it'd be Swagger. cool. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He needs, I think this episode, getting back to what I was saying earlier, he wants to protect them all, especially from the Diviner. Yeah. Because now Nandy is going to you know, get the bounty on them, uh, selling them out. Yep. And, you know, if there is this big bounty everywhere they show up, someone's going to rat them out, essentially, right? Yeah, they're going to be in danger in a lot of places, except from people who realize, oh, the Diviner's bad. But even some people might realize the Diviner's bad and be afraid and still do it. So the stakes are are always going up. Yeah. I have one other nitpick that's just sort of a continuity thing okay but go for I it. was watching again so Dal puts his badge on the crystal but I was watching the struggle that he had with Nandy and he was definitely inconsistent as to when you could see the badge on him and when you couldn't like it wasn't there then it was again on him and then when she pushes him away and he falls back he still got his badge on and they don't have physical contact again so it was just a mis- it's just a visual mistake, but it just caught my, unfortunately, it caught my eye. And then it made me go back and look more carefully and realize, oh, I wish I was wrong, but I'm not. So just something, just a small, tiny thing that I wish they'd been a little more careful about. Because I wanted to see the moment when he did it. That's what I was looking for. I want to see, oh, let's see the move where he does it. And you don't yeah. see the move. And in fact, it didn't, it didn't happen the right way. I mean, still a great story point. It did fall into the nice pattern of a grifter story. Is it's contact, right? So she's a con artist. She was running a long con against them. So they, so he and her were going to con the aliens, but then she was actually conning him. But then he, in another twist, conned her, which is all part of the 
yes you know grifter movie genre of everyone double crossing everyone so i did like that that he you know kind of pulled a fast one on oh you know i loved that he did it i thought it was great i thought it's like he was determined to do something he was taking responsibility and then he knew how to get her because he knows how she works because he was like that too because of her i also thought it was the fact that she noticed gwyn could read klingon um i feel like she might want gwyn for herself also yeah, that could easily become a story point where she yep. needs someone who could speak, a, you know, not maybe not just Klingon, but just... No, a lot of languages. Yeah. Gwyn revealed herself to be adept um, at, at all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that could easily... I mean, that's why I was wishing there was more nuance to this character, because if this is going to be a recurring villain, want her to be more interesting and there's an opportunity for that down the line i thought you know the actress gray griffin did a great job she's very famous within the world of voice acting has basically worked on everything um including voicing martin prince on the simpsons these days she's done you know star wars she's the voice of daphne on scooby-doo you know she's one of those people when you look at her filmography it's just it just goes on and on and on for pages and it's like every animated show and game that's been made in the last 25 years basically yeah she did great i mean i have no complaints about her i don't even have big complaints like it's only it's it's their own fault because all the other episodes are so good yeah that's no yeah it's 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 not a bad episode it's kind of a okay episode um with some great moments great moments in it and some things where there was more potential for sure um, but I, you know, I think it definitely works better for kids because it is kind of this very yeah. simple story. Um, yeah, there were moments where I kept reminding myself, "It's a kids' show. Just chill. It's a kids' show." Um, <laughs> exactly. Did, did you have little favorite moments or lines as you were watching? Yeah, only all the stuff with Jankum. You know, I mentioned a few of them. You know, when he was transported for the first time, and he, you know, was making sure that everything is in the right place. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was worried he might have been rearranged. Um, and when he's listening to the music, and he says, "This is it's the most horrible thing Jankum's ever heard," and he's, he's crying. crying. Yeah. yeah. So you know, Jason Manzukis is is kind of the MVP of this episode. I think he brings a lot of fun to it especially because it is kind of harsh and we see this with rock is you know get having janeway janeway was like super pissed at the end yeah right and she is the adult figure on this show and these these kids screwed up big time and so watching characters you care about fail essentially and get scolded is difficult and so he livens things up and lightens things up uh throughout the episode yeah i agree and i also thought just visually it was beautiful like especially the alien stuff and i just you know i always love my girl rock talk and i love when she's like why are they mad at us and she's so upset or she's excited that they might be invisible (laughs) like she's the littlest kid and she's adorable and even zero was like it's murder planet all over again so i like that they're still very much kids but at the end she's it's heartbreaking when she goes i don't you know i hate it what did she say i hate it when we get in trouble or i don't like getting in trouble yeah she doesn't like getting in trouble well who would 
I think we've pretty much done the episode. Yep. Right. And uh, there's three more in the first block of 10 episodes. So we're still waiting to learn something more about Chakotay. And uh, I think I, I think uh, we're going to get a little more next episode. That's my guess. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I'm, I hope so. <laughs> Let's switch to our bits of the week. Mine comes from the Atlanta minor league hockey team, the Atlanta Gladiators, who had a Star Trek night last weekend. And which is we a lot of sports teams do Star Trek nights and they you know give away little star trek stuff but what these guys did which was kind of cool is the whole team were wearing gold command jerseys styled in the you know original series gold with a giant starfleet emblem on them (laughs) and it was just there's video of them you know playing the game and it's just kind of hilarious seeing these hockey players do hockey stuff but they're all wearing Star Trek uniforms, <laughs> giant watch, Star Trek uniforms. I would consider watching sports if more teams wore Star Trek uniforms. <laughs> exactly. So we'll put a link to the uh, to images and a video of them playing. I think they auctioned them off for charity at the end of the game, which is nice. And true Star Trek spirit. I like it. So what is your bit of the week? It is actually quite bitty. It's called the Itty Bitty Inn. And it's just this very random cute uh privately owned hotel in north bend oregon and it has themed rooms and one of its rooms is the star trek enterprise room not enterprise like the show but like the original series enterprise and the pictures of this room are fantastic it looks like just chunks of the bridge are there you know spock scanner all around the bed there's all kinds of cool props all around there's a big thing on the website that describes like the designer who made it and and they actually like mention the episode of all episodes to mention obsession there's an <laughs> ensign rizzo they talk about from obsession um <laughs> so it's it's super cool it's like 83 bucks a night i'm very tempted And my favorite review, there were a whole bunch of reviews, but one of them said, the USS Enterprise room was out of this world, and I loved all the nerdy surprises. Ooh. So now I want to go and find the nerdy surprises. Uh, And there's, you see a picture of the guy holding up the key, and it says, live long and prosper on the back of the hotel key. So this sounds, you know, I read about these things that cost so much money, but this is like a very affordable (laughs) visit. If you happen to be in Bend, Oregon. All right. Well, that's it for another episode of All Access Star Trek, episode 74. I can't believe it. It's a lot of episodes. <laughs> Come back next week. We will be reviewing Prodigy again. Leave us comments, please. I love seeing what people think about what we've had to say, as well as the episode itself. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.